know is uh, during those times that God, uh, that I was just sitting on a couch, uh, just me and, uh, me and a thermometer, um, I do know that, that God just began to stir in me and speak in me and really just uh, uh, show me and reveal to me things in God's word about what he wants to not only just share to me as, uh, on a personal level, but what he wants to share with this church body during the season. And so I've come to you today absolutely overflowing. Um, God has allowed me for the first time really just to start at an actual series. And until, our, until Pastor John comes back, uh, from, uh, from his back surgery. Uh, God really has placed it on my heart to do a series for this church, and I'm going to explain that in a little bit. Uh, but, uh, but buckle up, uh, because, uh, man, God, the, the more and more I just began to, to write and type and, uh, and, and, and research and dig into God's Word and, and notes and everything else, the more I just realized that, that God really and truly just wants to, has a Word, and I, I'm more excited. I'm just, I'm just full today. And so uh, just to start off, the one thing I would ask is, um, is, is if you could just bear with me just a little bit as a way of introduction, because today I'm setting up a series on the life of Joshua, all right? And I'm going to explain, I'm going to bring Joshua into it just a little bit, but I'm setting up a series on the life of Joshua. And so because of that, uh, today I'm going to have a little bit more lengthy of an introduction, but keep in mind, it's not just that I'm setting up a message, I'm setting up an entire series. I, I, I do have a point uh, and a portion where I'm really going to get into today's message and, and really just uh, uh, dig into the meat of it and what God would have for us specifically today. So please don't think I'm just going to go and just give you overview and then we'll start next week. No, but uh, today I am going to set up a series uh, just so that you know what to expect, uh, I'm gonna, uh, and so that way we can just launch from it every single week. So is that okay? Is that good? Are you ready? Excited? Are you with me? Cool. Awesome. All right. So, uh, so, so let's, let's, let's get started. So 2 Peter 1.4. This is what it says. It says, through these, he has given us, talking about God, his very great and precious promises. And that's the key, promises. God has given us promises. Why? So that through them, you and me, that we may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Today I'm going to talk to you about promises, and, and, and God is the author of promises. God doesn't just give a suggestion. God doesn't just give a dream, so to speak. When God speaks, God actually gives a promise. And, there's, and if, you, if you study the Word of God, there's two types of promises, generally in the categories uh, that, that you can place, two kind of buckets that you can place God's promises into. There are promises that are passive, that require very little to no effort on our part to receive them, and I'm going to show those in a second. But then there are also promises that are active, that require us. It's not so much that it's a works-based faith or whatever, but there are small levels of obedience that is required on our end to make sure that those promises come true. So again, we've got two buckets. We've got passive promises, and we've got active promises. Let me give you an example of some passive promises. Okay, Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, God says, for I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prom- prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Okay, that is a passive promise on our part because it requires very little to no effort on our part for God to say, I've got good plans for you. Now we can mess it up with our choices, but the promise of God rings true no matter what we do. His plans for us are good. Another one that God gives us, is Hebrews 13.5. He said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Okay, that is a passive promise on our part because God's gonna keep it true. Whether we're faithful, whether we're not, whether we're having a good day or whether we're having a bad day, God is gonna keep that promise true because he's never gonna leave us. There is nothing that we can do that can cause God to say, oh, I'm sorry, I guess I have to leave you now because then he would have to be breaking his word to us. But then there are also active promises they, God, they're God-initiated, but there are things that God asks us to do to, to help kind of play a part and a role in it as well. Let me give you an example. James 4.8. God says, draw near, uh, uh, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Okay, now he'll never leave us or forsake us and his plans for us are good. That's the passive promise. But here's the promise as well that as I begin to seek God, as I begin in my devotional time, in my prayer time, as I begin to live out my convictions and study his word and I draw near to him, there is also a promise that as I do that, he will begin to draw near to us, draw near to me. And and I can actually begin to walk closely hand in hand with my Savior. 
Now, again, it's not perfection, right? Because the Bible teaches us, obviously, that our righteousness that we bring is like filthy rags to God. But at the same time, it does require a level of obedience and faith on my part to make sure that that promise is activated. Here's another one. Very simple, Romans 10, 9. If you, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. Okay, the promise is you're going to be saved. But here's, here's the part of obedience and faith that we have to live out. We've got to confess with our mouth, Jesus Christ, your Lord, and believe, God, you were raised from the dead. You were the son of God. Those two things activate that promise in our life and in the point of salvation. So today, now that we've laid that foundation of passive and active promises, actually, we're going to focus on the active promises. And there's certain characteristics of them. When we talk about an active promise for your life, and we're going to dig into that as we set this foundation, okay? There's a couple of, active, uh, of characteristics of active promises. The first, of, uh, the first one is that active approach promises require that. It requires some sort of action on your part. An active approach promise requires some sort of action on your part in Acts chapter 1. And again, I'm not going to tell you something without actually building the case for it in the Bible. Acts chapter 1, Jesus Christ gave the promise of the Holy Spirit that you're going to be empowered, Right? But what he told them, the action on their part was, okay, he said, now the Holy Spirit's coming. I need you to stay in Jerusalem. That's the action on your part. Stay in Jerusalem, seek me, pray until the Holy Spirit comes. So you mean that the disciples couldn't have just gone wherever they wanted to all over the, all over the countryside and that promise would have came true? Absolutely not. Jesus Christ said he's coming. Here's the part I need you to be faithful with. There was an action part. Active approach promises are specific to the individual. In Genesis, God spoke to Abraham, and he said, Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars. Your descendants as numerous as the stars. An active approach promise, God just shows up on the scene, and as God initiated, and it's beautiful, but he comes to individuals, and he says, I've got something specifically for you. Active approach promises require some sort of level I'm sorry, active approach promises are bigger than what our ability will allow us to do. When God shows up in your life and he gives you some sort of active approach promise, it's usually bigger than what you can accomplish on your own. Take Moses. He shows up to Moses and says, Moses, you're going to be the instrument through which I'm going to deliver the nation of Israel. And then Moses has this dialogue of, well, God, what if, what if people won't accept me? I can't speak very well. I can't do all these things. And God begins to overcome his objections. And in essence, what Moses is saying is, what you've asked me to do and what you promised for my life, I cannot do on my own ability. And God says, I know. That's the point of me actually coming to you because I'm going to be with you and help you. And when God comes to you with, some, with, with an active promise, he comes to you. And it's usually bigger than what you could ever do for yourself. Because if you could do it on your own, why would you need God's help? Active approach promises require a level of faithfulness. Not perfection, but faithfulness on our part. Second Chronicles talks about the, uh, the dedication of the temple, uh, in, uh, uh, of, of the Israel temple that, that was dedicated to God by, Som- uh, by Solomon. And God made this promise that was very important. He said, he goes, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal heal their land. So there has to be a level of faithfulness on an active approach promise. Because here was the promise, I will heal you, forgive your sins, and I will heal your land. But here's what I need from you as well. I need there to be a faithfulness. I need there to be a turn from your wicked ways. There has to be a level of prayer of coming to me. Active approach promises require that you take hold of them, grasp them, and hold on for dear life. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, he starts talking about how he wants to take hold of these things. Uh, he, wants to, he, wants to, he wants to know Christ. He wants to know the, the, the power of Christ's resurrection. He wants that active in his life. But here's what he says. Actually, when he gets to verse 12, it says, he goes, actually, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So here he was going, I've got a promise that here on this earth, I can experience a relationship and a power with my Lord and Savior, but I've got to take hold of it. I've got to fight for it. I've got to grasp for it. And, and, and there are even active approach promises that God's even going to ask you to fight for, and we're, and we're going to get into that with Joshua. 
So let's take this from a book that was written, an inspired book that was written thousands of years ago, and now let's apply it to our lives when we talk about an active approach promise. What promises did each and every one of you come in here with that you're holding on to? What are the promises that if I were to, if I were to allow you to come up here and you were to share what, what is going on in your life, what are those promises that God has placed inside of your life that you are holding on to today? What are the promises that he's given you that require action on your part? What are the promise, promises that he's given to you that are specific to you, the individual? Specific. What are the promises that he's given to you that, are, that is bigger than your ability? What are the promises that he's given you that requires a level of faithfulness on your part, that, allow, that requires you to take hold of it? What are the promises that you've walked in here today in your heart of heart that you know God's given you, you know it lines up with his word, you know it lines up with his perfect will, but you also know that it ain't gonna come easy. You gotta fight for it. What are those things? More specifically, let's even make it more specific to where we live, okay? We talk about promises in our life. Where's the parents, and I'm one of them. Where's the parents in here who you are holding on to that promise that while your child may not be perfect, that they have been set apart for something incredible for the kingdom of God, that, they're not, that, 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 that they are going to avoid just the huge pitfalls that just abs- and landmines that absolutely take out uh, a teenager and young adult for this generation. Who are the parents that are holding on to those promises that my child has been set aside to do incredible things in this life, and I believe it, and I pray for it every single day? Who are those parents? Who, who, who's that husband and wife that you have, you're holding on to the promise that your marriage, while not perfect, your marriage is going to be a shining example. Maybe you came from a a broken background. Maybe you haven't seen the perfect example of, of, of marriage, or maybe you have, and that's what you want for your life. And a promise that you're holding on to is no matter what, right? I don't just want my marriage to survive. I want my marriage to absolutely thrive. And until Jesus Christ comes back or one of us dies, I absolutely want to fall more and more more in love with my spouse. That's a promise. If we're going to do this marriage thing, let's do it right. Let's don't just be strangers living under the same, under the same house because we, 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 we want to put up some sort of a facade for our kids. No, no, no. You're my best friend. That's a promise that I'm holding on to. Who's the, who's the young single person here? And a promise that you are holding on to is that God has a perfect, perfect person for you that you don't have to settle. Who's that young person in here, or just any person for that matter, who a promise that you walked in, in here with is that God has set you aside to do something incredible in this lifetime for, for, for both your community and for his kingdom? Who is that person? You, you recognize that from a young age that God just didn't ask you to show up and just be ordinary with your life, that he has placed deposited dreams and promises inside of you of things that you are supposed to be doing to his glory. Who are those people? Who's the person in here who you were, you were holding in, you were walking in with the promise, the promise that even though this, despite the fact that your friends tell you that you'll always be this way and your family says, well, this is how we've always been, so I'm gonna be this way. Who's holding on to the promise that what, what they're saying that I'm gonna be like doesn't line up with the word of God? And so by faith, I'm gonna hold on to the promise that God has a different destiny for me. Who is that person that came in here with that? Who's the person that's holding on to this promise? Hold on to this promise. I don't care what my past choices and circumstances say about me. I'm looking at a future that does not include those things that I used to do. And by faith, I'm going to hold on to it. Who is it that that's the promise for you? And again, I'm talking, that that was very just general in a lot of ways. But for a lot of us, we have promises that we hold on to. And not just, not just generic ones. As much as I love John 3, 16, the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that is an incredible promise with which I build my, the foundation of my faith on. But I'm not talking about generic promises today. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about promises specific 
for you. Who is it that walked in with that today? Because that is what this series is about. When I look at the life of Joshua, and for those who may know, those who don't know, Joshua was someone who the theme of his life was taking hold, fighting for, and inheriting the promises of God. For generations, for generations, the people of Israel had heard about a promised land that had been promised to their, that, that, who had been promised to Abraham, the father of their nation. And that's all they heard was that one day we're going to the promised land. One day we're going to a place where there's milk and honey. One day we're going to step on this place that is going to be ours, that God has carved out for us. There's a promise. And then there comes a point in the Bible where this gentleman named Joshua shows up and says, you know what? It's time to stop talking about the promise. God has brought us to a place where it is now time for us to fight for and inherit the promise. That is the theme of Joshua. And that is why we're going to study his life. Because for us today, for us that have promises that we are holding on to and willing to fight for, I want us to do a couple things with Joshua. I want us to look at his life and I want us to find what specific things, what qualities did he have, did he possess that allowed him to lead an entire nation in to take the promised land. But more importantly, after we find out what those qualities are and we examine our heart to see if that's something that we, that, if those are qualities that we have, more importantly is afterwards. How did he get those things? Was Joshua just born with it? Was he born with these qualities that allowed us to look thousands of years at his life in the future and say, you know what? That's great that he possesses those, but you know what? When it comes to my certain circumstances and my promises, I don't have those qualities because I wasn't born with them. And so there's nothing I can do. All hope is lost. Or can we find a certain pattern in how God treated Joshua? And can we find opportunities in how God treated Joshua? And I believe that we can, that we can look and say, you know what? God offers me the same opportunities today. And I can fight for, I can grasp and I can inherit and I can inherit the promises that God gave me. That's what we're gonna do. Can I tell you, just so that you don't think I'm preaching at you, as I begin to put this, to, as I begin to put this message together, man, my heart just leapt because I, there are two promises that I hold on to for my life. There's two specific things that God has, has spoken to me. I've been walking with God since I was um, 16. Obviously not perfectly, but, but God just called me when I was young. And so one of the first promises that he gave me is that, um, was that he had set me aside and that he had called me to do ministry. And that was to suffer for his name and that my life was to shout his fame and that I would bring other people into the kingdom. It's a promise that he gave me as a young man. The other promise that he gave me is that I was supposed to be a trailblazer, and a generational curse breaker in my family. That there were generational curses that had been inside my family for years and that I was supposed to be the one, obviously with his help, to break those chains and to set a new pattern with my family for my entire family's line. Two promises. So I, I'm just laying myself bare with you. Those are things, these are things that my wife and I talk about just late at night when it's just us. Those two things I'm supposed to, I, that, that are promises in my life. And so as I began to study this, my heart just leapt in me. I was like, oh yeah, God, if you can do this for Joshua, you can do this for me and the promises in my life. It's the foundation. You already start, you already start uh, digging into the qualities? I am. All right, here's the first quality. Ooh, I just talked. I gotta find out where my notes is. All right, write this down. If, you get, if, you have, if you're taking notes, write it down. Here's the first quality that Joshua possessed that allowed him to fight for and inherit and grasp the promise is that he had unusual perspective. He had an unusual perspective. Here's the thing about perspective is that before we actually start talking about fighting for, time out, y'all just search your Bibles.
All right, check, 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 check. How about that? Cool, let's get it for John. Woo! Thanks, ma'am. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, John, what I think it is, is this is my first time ever preaching with a beard. I think it's getting stuck on the beard. But the beard is pretty awesome. It's pretty epic. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I look at myself in the, in the mirror and I'm like, mm, Kim's so lucky with this beard. Mm. Like literally, Kim, a couple of times, sorry, side note, Kim, Kim has caught me looking at my beard in the mirror and she's like, you're proud of that thing, aren't you? I'm like, mm-hmm, sure I am. Uh, for, for, for those watching at home, uh, 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 my, 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 my beard says hello, says hi. <laughs> you know, there's just time for something new. All right. Okay. Here's the thing, number one, back into it, from Joshua's life. He had an unusual perspective, okay? Here's the thing about perspective. Before we fight a battle, before we pick up a sword, before we try to grasp a promise, before we try to inherit what God has promised uniquely and individually for us, we have to have an unusual perspective because it allows us to believe and carry on with our promise no matter what the circumstances are. Because if, if, uh, if anybody with a promise will attest, uh, once you, uh, uh, two seconds after you have that promise and you, be, and you believe that it's true for your life and you believe that it came from God, all of a sudden it don't come easy. It's not handed to you on a silver platter. Uh, you don't just wake up in the morning and it's like you have done absolutely nothing and faced nothing and gone through and, and you haven't gone through anything. And then all of a sudden the promise is just there and you're like, great, I didn't have to do anything. For anybody with a dream and a promise uh, that's in your heart, you realize very quickly that God and life sometimes ask you to fight for it. That sometimes things come up, uh, sometimes things come up such as uh, setbacks, uh, uh, financial problems come up, spiritual problems come up, doubts and fears come up, um, uh, 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 relational problems come up. You just name it. Anybody with a promise, and, 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 and I, if I asked you, you could... You could, uh, you could probably say what those are, but you all of a sudden start facing opposition and all you did was just believe in a promise. And so for you and for me, if we're going to overcome that opposition and we're going to overcome those doubts and fears that walk up, we've got to have, before we start fighting, some sort of an unusual perspective because if we do not, if we do not have an unusual perspective that allows us to see past the problems let me put it this way. How many people do you know of and can you name that have had a promise and a dream only for obstacles to come up and they wilt and the promise never happens? I can name tens, hundreds of people. That's not what we want. That's not what God designed us for. And that's surely not what we thought of when we, when we agreed to believe in the promise that God gave us. But if we're not going to wilt, if we're not going to bow under the pressure, if we're not going to get discouraged to the point of quitting, we've got to have an unusual perspective if we're going to continue. Before you even begin to take on obstacles and fight for your promise, the first step is that you've got to have an unusual perspective. Okay, let me just, let me just tell you how perspective works in the natural and then apply it to the spiritual. Okay, here's what perspective looks like. A couple of weeks ago, I take, uh, I take Kim and the kids, we go to Wild Adventures in Madison, my little six-year-old daughter, she sees a couple of roller coasters that look kind of scary, right? And all of a sudden she goes, I don't know if I want to ride these, Daddy. I don't know, whatever. But then Daddy is able to actually sit her down and say, Baby, let me tell you about this roller coaster. It's nothing. It's nothing. Not only has Daddy ridden it before, but Daddy likes it, and it's fun, and it's not scary. And when you're done, you're going to absolutely love it. And with that perspective of, you know what, Daddy's ridden this before and it's okay. We get on the roller coaster and when she's done, she's like, Daddy, that was so much fun. Can we ride it 10 more times? Sure, baby, right? It's perspective. Let me tell you what perspective does for us, right? I've, I've been very open and honest about the fact that because I was building a home, um, about this time last year, no, no, a uh, couple months we're almost, at, we're almost at the year anniversary. I, I moved my family in with my mom so that way I could be with her, um, and we could live with her while our house is being built. Now, again, on the surface, and my mom's great. She's wonderful, right? But what grown man wants to go move his family back in with mommy, right? Doesn't really work all that great. 
You know, I mean, and how, 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 am I, how am I able to look at my wife and say, hey, baby, I've got a great plan. Let's go move in with mom. Yay! But here was the perspective while we lived there for seven months. In the back of my mind, I'm like, you know what? This isn't probably the most ideal situation. But you know what? I've got a house being built that we're going to move into. And so I know that. And that perspective changed, changed everything. Here's perspective for you, okay? Despite the fact that the University of Georgia has lost almost their entire starting secondary because it got kicked off the team, we still have Jeremy Pruitt as our defensive coordinator who will absolutely raise our defense from the ashes, and we just signed the number one recruit in the nation last week, and we just added two more recruits this past weekend, so UGA's good! I don't care if we lost a secondary. I care what happened. I've got perspective. And August 30th, Clemson better watch, watch out because we're going to give them the royal beatdown. That's perspective. And for all you Clemson fans out there, and I know one of my predominant youth leaders who is, it's going down, bro. Sorry. You're going to cry. You're more than welcome to come to my house and I'll give you some tissues, man, but you're going to cry. Abraham Lincoln said this, and this was someone who was known to have had a dream and a promise and was willing to fight for it. He said this, he goes, we can complain because rose bushes have thorns or rejoice because thorn bushes have roses. Here was the beautiful thing about Joshua when it came to his perspective. It, he didn't, it wasn't that he looked at, at the glass, proverbial glass is half empty, it wasn't just that he looked at the proverbial glass as half full. If you look at his life, and I'm about to give you an example, he looked at the glass as absolutely overflowing, and that perspective is what allowed him to claim his inheritance and his promise. Let's take a look at it. You don't have to turn there unless you just want to, but, but Numbers 13, this is when Joshua really first comes on the scene. If you're, if you're familiar with the Bible, this is a very familiar passage with you. If not, I'm going to read it out. Long story short, Joshua, uh, the, uh, Moses at the time, uh, the Israelites had, and Moses had, had come up to the promised land. They'd been, they they'd, um, had left Egypt. Uh, they had walked in the desert, and they were at the promised land. So they were on the edge of it. So they were on the edge of claiming their promise. Moses sends out 12 spies. Joshua uh, was one of them. He says, hey, go check it out and come back and tell me what you see. So they come back, and they check it out, and this was the reports. From 10, from 10 of the 12 spies, this is what they said. They came back and told the entire nation, they said, we went to the land to which you sent us, and it does indeed overflow. This is Numbers 13, verse 13. And it does indeed flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit, but the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. It was Joshua's account in chapter 14, verse 7. This is what he said, him and Caleb said, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into their land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. How can... Ten, or how, how can two different sets of people have such a completely different perspective on one incident? It's because Joshua was able to have an unusual perspective. Here's the things that stood out about Joshua's perspective that applies for us today. Jo uh, Joshua's unusual perspective allowed him to keep his eye on the prize. Joshua said he, in his report, he goes, the land is exceedingly good. He didn't ignore the problems. He didn't ignore the giants. He didn't ignore the fight that was about to come. But what was more important to him was the fact that he was able to look at the prize and say, you know what? Not only is what God promises good, it is exceedingly good. It is worth us fighting for. His unusual perspective assumed God's guidance. He said, God's going to lead us. And not only that, God, not only is God going to lead us, but he's going to lead us into their land. His unusual perspective assumed God's victory. Assumed it. He said, 
God's going to give it to us. How would you feel to have that perspective in your life for your promise? That God's just going to give it to you. His unusual perspective gave him courage. He was able to say, do not be afraid of the people. His unusual perspective gave him confidence. Not only did he say, do not be afraid of the people, right? There was a little bit of confidence, maybe mixed in with a little bit of arrogance. I don't know, depending on how you read it. But he said, he goes, not only don't be afraid of them, but, but we're going to devour them. Translation into today's term, we're going to walk into their play yard. We're going to give them an atomic elbow of doom, and they're not going to know what hit them. That's what he said. How would you feel? What would you give to have that kind of confidence toward your circumstance? His unusual perspective gave others around him confidence. Joshua said, their protection's gone. The people in the land, their protection's gone. But the Lord is with us. His unusual perspective and his heavens, heavenly perspective was able to trickle down to other people inside of his influence. What would you give for that? What would you give to have such a heavenly perspective on the promises that you have that even when opposition arose and things looked like it was, and things looked bleak and you realize that it's going to be a way harder fight than what you ever thought it was going to be for you to have such a, for you to have such a God confidence that it, that it trickles down to other people in your family and, and friends and circle of influence. That is incredible. So let's see, how this, let's see how this perspective plays out. I gave you a couple scenarios before we started. How does this unusual and heavenly perspective play out to us? Okay? We talked about the parents. We talked about the parents who you are, you are believing and you have, you have a promise held up inside of you that your child is set apart. You're going to pray for them and they're, they're, they're going to do incredible things. It's your promise, Right? And then all of a sudden, a circumstance walks up and maybe you see their phone and you realize a text that they sent that was inappropriate or they bring home some friends from school and you realize that's not an okay crowd or all of a sudden they begin to question your authority. That child who never gave you problems is now all of a sudden distant and you don't know what's going on, maybe even a little disrespectful and you're going, what in the world? Okay, the fear perspective says all hope is lost. God gave me this promise for my child, and now I'm seeing them kind of walking away from them. I'm seeing them taking steps kind of, kind of toward being a prodigal son or a daughter, and I don't know. I don't know if I can do all this. It's the fear perspective. The faith perspective says, Mm-mm. no, 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 no. I've got a promise for my, for my son. I've got a promise for my daughter. And things may not be good right now. And I may, I may see things that I don't like, but that will not stop me from praying. That will not stop me from continuing to believe for their life. That will not stop me from continuing to speak over them. That will not stop me from continuing to encourage them. That will not stop me from continuing to fight some of their battles over who they hang out with. I'm sorry, Jimmy, but you're not gonna be able to hang out with that friend. He's no good for you. And God has something better for you. And I love you enough to tell you because I'm looking at it from a faith perspective not a fear perspective. For that husband and wife who are holding on to the promise that your marriage is going to thrive, and just like any marriage, you all of a sudden look at that person that you're married to and say, you know what? There's a lot of things about you I didn't realize. (laughs) And of course, they're looking at you thinking the same thing, right? And then all of a sudden, the fear perspective comes in and says, oh no, Are we going to be able to do this? Are we going to be able to really be able to have a marriage that thrives? Or are we just going to be a shell? That's the fear perspective that comes in and plays with our heads. Or the faith perspective that comes in and says, you know what, I made a promise to you till death do us part. And you know what, as a husband, I'm just speaking from my perspective, you know, I'm going to claim 1 Peter 3, 7, which tells me as a husband, I'm supposed to live with you according to knowledge. And so I'm going to get to know you each, I'm going to get to know you better. I'm going to find out your perspective. I'm going to grow. I'm going to change. My way doesn't have to always be right, right? And we're just going to, we're going to continue to grow and communicate and learn together. And you know what, and and, 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 and while it may not be perfect at times, it's going to be good because we, because I'm not going anywhere and you're not going anywhere. And I give you that promise. And I made a promise to you, um, made a promise to you on, on our wedding day and I make a promise to you now and every single day that you and I are gonna be good. That's the faith perspective. How about that young person, that young single person, right? Here's what happens. You're waiting for God's perfect match for you. And all of a sudden, Bubba comes along and 
he's, you know, he sort of loves Jesus, you know, like he's kind of willing to go to church with you if you want, but he doesn't really go if, if it was really him by himself or whatever. And you're kind of wondering, you know, you try to talk to him about the things about God and, you know, hey, how was your quiet time? And he was like, oh, it was great. I, I'd, I'd slept through it because I was sleeping, right? And, uh, and, 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 then, and then all of a sudden you've got that choice of, well, He's got some of the things that I like. I mean, he treats me good. We talk good. You know, he, he doesn't abuse me. Um, you know, he gets along with my friends. He's fun to be around or, or she's fun to be around or, or whatever, you know. And uh, so I guess, uh, I guess I can just, I, I can settle. And in our heads, what we do is instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to play God instead because I can save them. It got quiet on that one. Because I see it play out over and over and over again. And that single person, instead of waiting for God's perfect match for them, settles. How about this one? The person who believes that God has set them aside to do some incredible things in their life. And this, is, this was me at, a, at, oh my gosh, I told you I turned my life over to Christ at 16. This was me at, at an early age. This was, this was the hard thing for me, right? God gave me a promise. I began to walk toward it. And then all of a sudden I realized my immaturities, my shortcomings, my failures, and the things that I cannot do. And over and over and over and over again, I just stumbled. And then all of a sudden, in the, the fear perspective comes in that says, Mm-mm, you can't do this. Look at you trying to actually do something for your Lord and Savior and for God. Look at you trying to step out into the unknown and do things that you've never done before. Look at you trying to do things that are different than what your past has said that you do. Why don't you just quit? That's the fear perspective. The faith perspective says this. You pick yourself up. You dust yourself off. You find a scripture like Philippians 4.13, which says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You find a scripture such as Romans 8.37, which says, in, in all these things, we are more than conquerors who the, uh, through him who loved us. You find a scripture uh, such as Romans 5.17, which gives us the promise that we are to rule in life with Christ. And you say to yourself, you know what? I may have stumbled. I may, I, I may have disappointed. I may have fallen short, but I'm gonna pick myself up right now. I'm gonna repent. I'm gonna go to my God. I'm gonna make it right. I'm gonna go to anybody else. I'm gonna, make, I'm, I, I, I'm gonna make it right. And I'm gonna dust myself off. I'm gonna lift myself up right? I'm going to humble myself, learn my lesson, and I'm going to keep walking because even though I may fail, God never fails, and I'm going to be okay. I'm not going to quit. That is the faith perspective. I cannot tell you how many times that situations have come up in my life, and I have a choice. Am I going to give in to the fear perspective, or am I going to be like Joshua, and I'm going to say, and say, you know what? The obstacles are many, but my God is greater. Though, you know, those are the times that really define you. This isn't in my notes, but I just feel prompted into the Holy Spirit. Those are the times that define you as a Christian. It's when you realize that it's the promise that you're going after, that God gave you, is harder and has more obstacles than what you ever thought. And you still even when your emotions tell you differently, you still say, but my God's greater. That's the what. That is the quality that Josh, Joshua had. But I'm sure you're like me when I begin to study this. How do you get it? You know, one of the easiest or hardest things to do, I guess, depending on your perspective, is to look at a story like this and look at Joshua and say, you know what? Joshua must have been born with it. There must have been something about Joshua that allowed him to just be born with it. That's, that's where it came from, right? Obviously, I'm not born with it because I'm looking at this unusual perspective and I'm looking at the circumstances and oftentimes I choose fear perspective as opposed to faith perspective. And I don't know what to do because Joshua was born with it. I'm not, so I'm really discouraged right now. What if I told you that there are a couple of hints in the Bible even before this story about Joshua, that showed that God gave him an opportunity that he gives us. See, Joshua in so many ways was just like us, and I'm about to prove it. 
And there was, a, there was some opportunities in a certain path that God opened up for him. And if you blink, you'll miss it while you read, while you read the scriptures. That shows, what jo- that shows how Joshua got his unusual perspective. The first one was this. In Exodus 24, 13 through 18. In Exodus 24, 13 through 18. See, outside of God and the nation of Israel, the key central figure in the book of Exodus is Moses. So you read a lot of these stories about what happens with Moses. And I'm about to read you the story about when Moses went up to Mount Sinai to get the, um, to get the uh, Ten Commandments. Powerful moment. But if you look at the story, there's something unusual that's said. Because we've always assumed that Moses was alone when he went up to receive the Ten Commandments. But let's read our Bible together. Exodus 24, 13 through 18 says this. It says, So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua. And Moses went up to the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return for you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up to the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai. And the cloud covered it six days, and on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I don't know to what extent that Joshua went up on that mountain with him, but I do know this. Moses looked at all the nation of Israel and said, y'all stay here, me and Joshua going up here. That was Joshua's first taste of the glory of the Lord. I don't know. It doesn't say that he was standing right next to Moses when all this stuff happened and God's glory came down like a cloud of fire and smoke and all that. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say how close Joshua was, but I can tell you this, he was close enough to get a taste of it. He was close enough to sit there and at least say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm being exposed to the God of the universe. That's some of us. If we look at our lives, how many of us could share the testimony, even if we grew up in church or if we didn't or if we fell away or if we didn't, that there came a time where somebody invited us to experience the presence of the Lord and we got a taste and we got a taste. But here's the cool thing Joshua did as well. The next part about Joshua Except before we even show the scripture, so a couple chapters later, you see where it talks about this incredible story where Moses, at the time, the Holy Spirit wasn't given, Jesus Christ hadn't come, so Moses met with one man. That was, I'm sorry, God met with one man, that was Moses. He would go into this tent, and the presence of God would come and meet him there, and, 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 and the scriptures say that Moses' face would actually shine kind of like uh, it was radiant. They had actually put a cloth over him because the presence of God was so close to him there. And then Moses would actually go out and uh, speak with the people. But here, there's something a little unusual, though, when we talk about Exodus and we talk about that, uh, that, that chapter 33. Let's read it together. It says, Exodus 33, starting with verse 11, it says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face. So here's what I was telling you about. He'd go in, and the presence of God would, would, would fill there as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses will return to the camp. But here's something unusual. But his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, didn't leave the tent. So let me get this straight. Moses meets, in the, meets with God face to face. The presence of God is there. Moses leaves. And Joshua stays. You know what that tells me? If I look at this pattern, Joshua got a taste. And he didn't want to leave. Joshua went up with Moses to Mount Sinai got a taste of the presence and the glory of the Lord. And then all of a sudden said, you know what? There's going to come a time in my life. I love this so much, I can't leave it. 
I love this present so much that even though it's not required of me, even though I'm not supposed to do it, even though, you know, technically Moses, the man of God, is out speaking with the people, I have fallen in love so much with the presence of God that I'm going to stay right here. Nothing else is required of me. I've got nothing else to do because Moses is doing his thing. So I'm going to stay right here in the presence of the God, in presence of the Lord, and I dare somebody to ask me to move. I dare somebody to ask me to leave. I dare somebody to say, this, ain't, this is not the place you're supposed to be. Hey, why aren't you with Moses? Why aren't you doing all these things? Because you know what? This is where I'm supposed to be. This was the progression that Joshua went through. Is it any wonder? Is it any wonder that when it came time to fight the battles, for inheritance, that he had an unusual perspective. Joshua did over and above what was, what was required of him to just be in the presence of God. Once he got that taste on Mount Sinai, he couldn't stay away. You realize that God offers us that same opportunity every single day. I don't know why you're here. I don't know everybody's story. I don't know what your background is. But I guarantee you at some point, whether it's happened in the past, whether it's happening now, or whether it's coming in the future, you are here because you got a taste. But what God offers for you is just wondering who are the people here that after they get that taste, within reason, will drop everything that they're doing not their responsibilities for life, but will drop everything that they're doing in order to be with their Savior. Who are the people here? Who are the people here? It doesn't, it didn't make sense for Joshua just to stay there, but he did because he wanted to be around God. For some of us, it may not make sense for us to wake up a little earlier before we go to our job and open our Bibles and open up our Word of God and pray to a God that we cannot see. But in those moments, all of a sudden, we have God's glory come down and we realize, God, you're here. God, you're here. It may not make sense for some of you young people, for some of these teenagers to carry their Bibles to school. And during the free time, when nothing else, nothing else is going on, they open up their Bibles because they're hungry because there's nothing else that I'm, that's required of me right now. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit in the presence of God. For some of us, for some of us, it makes no sense to show up a little early to church just because you want to take a couple minutes and pray. And make sure things are right between you and your God before you start before you start worship. For some of you, it may be, I'm going to hang out a little bit longer. I know we're about to go to lunch, but I just want to spend a couple more minutes in the presence of my Savior. Because it's real. It's not just, it's not just a theory. It's not just something that I can read from a book. It's real. Some of you, you're beginning to work out your faith and fear and trembling and, and God's sending you convictions and you're saying, you know what, I can't live that way that I used to. And it doesn't make sense, but all I know is that I just want to be in the presence of my Jesus. I want to spend more time with him and walk hand in hand with him. That is an attitude that has to be fostered every single day. You want an unusual perspective? We need to learn from Joshua. Because his attitude, once he got a taste of God, he grabbed hold of God of everything he had and would not let go. And we have that opportunity every single day. Through our devotional times, through our prayer times, through just walking with him. Let me just tell you, last night, my wife struggled to, you know, uh, she finally went to sleep and I was kind of up a little bit. The last 30 minutes... And I could have watched TV. And I'm not, this, is not a, this is not a message about TV. It's not. Please don't take that. Please don't. I, I, hey, I, I'll watch a TV show just like anybody else will. But I just felt in that moment, God whispered to me, Drew, why don't you spend a couple of moments with me? I cut the TV off and I just laid in bed. I just lifted my hands and just worshiped, just rehearsed. 
And in, the, and in those moments before I went to sleep, just the presence of God just came. In the middle, in the middle of my bedroom, my wife just snoring up like you wouldn't believe. Who are those people? I can't, I can't just define it for you. I can't say, do this, check this off. You know, do, I, I spend this amount of time. It's a heart issue. Just like Joshua. Joshua said, I, I, I'm not leaving the tent with, this, with God's presence here. I'm not doing it. And then fast forward and we see an unusual perspective for his life. Don't wait to try to get an unusual perspective once the battle comes. You cultivate it. You allow God to speak to you. You allow, to God, you allow God to tell you how big he is. You allow God to tell you what he's going to do and how he's going to handle problems. And then you'll have the faith to stand no matter what. I know we've got to go to lunch today. But as a Kickstarter, what I'm going to offer as this response time, I'm going to give you the chance to respond and enter into the presence of God. going to stand. And you do it in your own way. I'm not going to define what this is for you. But if you want an unusual perspective for your issues and for your problems and for your promises that you are fighting for, how you get that unusual perspective is you spend time with the one who can give you that, that perspective. Now I'm going to take a couple of minutes I just want to encourage you, however you want to, however you're comfortable to enter into the presence of God. Let's do that now. Who's like the Lord in all the earth? Matchless love and beauty in this earth. Nothing in this world can satisfy. Jesus, you're the cup that won't run dry. Your presence is heaven to me. Your presence is heaven to me. God, your presence, say, your presence is heaven to me. Your presence is heaven to me. Treasure of my heart, say, treasure of my heart and of my soul. In my weakness, you are merciful. Redeemer of my past and present wrong. You're the holder, holder of my future. Promise, Lord, your presence is heaven to me.
days on earth I will wait The moment that I see you face to face There's nothing in this world can satisfy Jesus, you're the cup that water and dry This world can satisfy Jesus. Jesus, you're the cup that won't dry. Nothing in this world, sing it with me. Oh, nothing in this world can satisfy. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, you're the cup that won't This was just a beginning. How's life going to change for you and how's life going to be different outside of just this moment? And only you know your schedule, only you know your circumstances and everything else. But how is life going to change for you after this moment for you to entertain the presence of God in your life? So I'll try to be careful not to get up here and say you need to do this or do that.